This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, I'm Anif Baharudin and you're tuned into the show that explores the narratives of historical landmarks and places in the Klang Valley. This month, we're going to be talking about the design of our national library. Once upon a time, libraries played a very important role as a knowledge hub for the society. It's a place where people can convene not to just read books, but perhaps exchange ideas or look at old documents to track how the world has evolved since. But as we progress, and especially with the advent of the internet, libraries have become less popular. But those who appreciate libraries know that they still have a role to play in our society and here in KL. Apart from many public libraries, there are also community libraries and private libraries that are popping up to still serve readers. Readers who still believe in the concept and the role that libraries play in shaping the minds of our society. So in this episode, we're going to look at one of the more iconic libraries in the city, our National Library. Our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, joins us to share her thoughts on the building. My first memory, I suppose if you want to say, of uh, the National Library in KL, not of libraries in general, but the National Library in Kuala Lumpur, was it was on Jalan Raja Laut and it was in a, a building, you know, which you know, along, you know, next to some shop houses. And, you know, so it was a new building, but it had a very street front. The street frontage was very clear because it was on, you know, Jalan Raja Lao in the area of Jan Tongkut Duraman in KL um, in the 1970s, is 1980s, 1970s and 1980s is my memory of it, okay? And it was not a particularly elegant or particularly distinctive building but it was the National Library and uh, but it was too small and so at some point uh, there was this need or, or desire to build its own property, its own site to locate it so that it would become quite a prominent monument, I suppose, physical monument as a monument to um, this whole idea of, you know, what do you need in a library? What do we use a library for? You know, and when we think about library resources, we think about a collection of books, publications, you know, print materials, right? That's kind of what we think about, right? But there are also uh, manuscripts and images and audio-video recordings and you know, there are so many different kinds of libraries, but essentially I think what a library is, is to be a depository of different types of knowledge. And the knowledge could be in many different forms. In, in the case of the National Library, I think they have many different types of the way in which the material is at the collection is um, held is in terms of uh, books and publications, of course, maps and you know, you have a collection of, of images, etc. So going back to the 1970s, when I kind of first remember it, or, or when it first came into my consciousness, um, it was in this nondescript-ish building. Uh, but it housed something which was, for me, really important. I mean, a collection of, of books, a collection of publications. And in those days, you know, the use of the internet or knowledge from an internet and books were expensive. So it is a really great resource. It's a great place that you can access uh, without having to pay 
money, you know, lots of money for. And and so I think for me, I will always like libraries for that reason. And I think to date, there are a lot of people who have a great sense and sensibility of wanting to, to hold a book, to hold uh, paper, you know, in your hand when you're reading something. I know we read on screen all the time. But it's really, it's really something with the, the tactile nature, I think, of, of this material is something that, that is, for me personally, enjoyable. But the library itself, I think um, the physical building itself that we call the National Library Building now, or that, we, that is the National Library Building now, was really only, what, nearly 30 years, maybe 30 years old at the most? Um, you know, it dates back to the early 1990s. It was definitely around by the mid-1990s. I think it was launched in 1994, so completed, you know, sometime in 92, 93. And on its own site, on Jalantun Razak, which became a, a street where you get a, a major artery, not in the centre centre of, you know, not in the city centre, not in the commercial centre, but where you have the national... Um, theatre that was uh, built again in the late 90s, the National Art Gallery that was built again in the second half of the 1990s, um, the National Blood Bank, um, you know, the National Heart Institute. Um, these are all buildings which represent the nation's repository of knowledge, repository of excellence, you know, in, in, in different areas. Um, of our, of what we pursue, you know. So the National Archives, actually, where the library used to be with the National Archives, and it was used to be, in a sense, I think, as a unit under the National Archives, um, the National Archives has its own building, and that is on Akip Nagara. Where would it? It's where the, a lot of the government offices used to be off of Jalanduta. And the National Library had was a branch or a division uh, where you had a lending, the ability to lend. Archives are places where you go and you do research, you look at old documents, but it's not something which is a lending section. You know, you, you go as a reference, it's more a reference. Um, and when you talk to archivists, it's really, it's a collection of this kind of documents um, that doesn't have the more general lending facility, whereas an, a library has. So this National Library building, I think, which you are talking about, is attributed to have been, well, it was, the, the architect uh, was, uh, the architectural practice that designed it was um, Kumpulan Architect, who did um, several other buildings. I mean, they were responsible for PWTC, well, now called the KL World Trade Center, um, Dewan Merdeka, and uh, what used to be the Pan Pacific Hotel uh, complex, um, now it's called I'm not quite sure what the name of the hotel is uh, that is there now, but that's sort of um, that complex. They were responsible for other buildings like uh, the now uh, Bank Muamalat. Uh, it used to be called Bank Bumiputra when it was first started on Jalan Malacca. So they built uh, the, the the PNB building, I believe, is is one of theirs as well, if I'm not mistaken. So there were a lot of these really in the 19. 80s and 1990s especially these more monumental sort of more institutional large scale look at me kind of you know buildings trying to express a Malaysian character 
um, or, or express a language that says we are Malaysian and look at the architecture of these buildings. Um, and it was distinctively identified as Malaysian. The National Library was among, you know, that group. What do you think about it? I mean, meaning what do you, when you look at it, what do you remember? Have you ever been in? <laughs> Um, actually, honestly, no. Uh, okay. But I've driven okay. past past the library multiple times, and I think my immediate impression of hmm. seeing the building was that it definitely is that it definitely stands out among a lot of other buildings that I've seen before, especially in, in its design, the design, the tiles. Yeah, that's. So you're talking thing. about the roof, right? The roof, yeah. Um. So yes, I mean, but if you look at the National Theatre, it also is a building with a roof, and you look at the uh, National Art Gallery, it also has a roof. So yes, this building has a roof. And I think that the, the roof of this building is something that may, makes, made it, you know, m- makes it be talked about, right? And you say the pattern on the roof, right, uh, is something that you remember. What color is the roof? White and brown. Okay. Right? So you never saw it in its original design. What's the original design? The original design, the original color was blue. It was very. It was a very distinctive, very prominent, dominant roof. The brown now you see huge patterns on it, right? And so it's brown and white, and so against that skyline and other buildings around, it is um, less. It doesn't jump out at you as much. It jumps out at you because of the pattern on the roof and the amount of um, roof, if you want to call it. You know the the the, the the, usually we kind of like think of a roof and we ignore it. In this case, the roof is a very dominant part of the story of, of the physical look of the building, correct? So the difference I think that I'm trying to say is that, you know, colour does make a big impact. And when it was originally built with the blue roof and a pattern on there, on the roof design, um, like the skin, like you wear, you, 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 you know, you, you, put on a piece of fabric, you know, you, you, you decorate it, but it is a skin. Um, that, that made quite a big impact, very big impact, I think, on a lot of people. So people would notice it, but you've said you haven't entered it. And that's actually, to me, quite interesting because I think in some ways, if you go by it, you know, you would hope that it would be welcoming. It has a fence which which I find very odd. Um, you know, it's a public building. Why do you need a fence? Because when you get into the building, you know, there are all sorts of security measures. Why do you need a fence? I mean, it, it's like um, uh, the National Theatre and the National Art Gallery don't have fences. So that's, to me, you know, actually quite interesting because it means that, you know, you can approach them and there is no barrier. The National Library that you would have expected to say, welcome, right? Everybody can come in has a fence. So that to me is the first thing that I find a bit odd. But I'll tell you also probably why you haven't been in it. It's because of its location. Uh, how do you get to it? Where do you park? If you're on the other side of the road, how do you, you know what I mean? That sort of thing. It isn't so well, I think maybe, you know, the the, the, the pathfinding or the, you know, the pointing toward it is not so visible or not so apparent. And nowadays, of course, we um, use our computers and we get on the internet a lot more than we do go to a physical space. 
when we want to read. Why did they choose that location? I don't know why particularly, but I would say that I remember that on Jalantun Razak, there were these pieces of land which were, you know, I mean, available um, government public land where you could build, you know, which were allocated for some, for institutional use. And if you put all these buildings, as I say, you have the National Theatre next to the National Art Gallery, and then you have the National Blood Bank in between, which is opposite the uh, General Hospital, the main hospital in KL, uh, Hospital KL, and um, on the opposite side of the road uh, with uh, its many, many different, you know, centres, maternity centre, paediatric centre, or whatever centre, next to the National uh, Heart Centre, Institute Jantungnagara. But then on the, if we go back to the side of the road where the National Library is, you have the National Blood Bank, as I said. Then you also have a Wisma Sajara, which is a building for the Historical Society, but actually has, uh, you know, services part of the National Library collection. And then you have the National Library. And you have this flyover that goes in front of it, kind of, you know, that starts quite close to where the library is, you know, the entrance to the library. So the area is not very, how do I say, the, the access to the area is not something that you would say is so easily visually available. But I would think, and I may be wrong, but, you know, this land was available. It was earmarked uh, for institutional buildings. And so when, you know, you want to design something new, Put it where you don't have to go and buy a piece of land. And you also want to be able to bring people in there with or allow, you know, access to, to a large number of people, large numbers of people. Um, so you need, you don't want to be in the middle of the city because if you're in the middle of a city, land costs are more expensive, that's one. And of course, you know, parking, congestion, all of these things, you know, will affect, I think, your decision. That was our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, talking about our National Library. We're going for a short break. Stay tuned. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me this week is our resident heritage conservation expert, Elizabeth Cardosa, and we're currently talking about our National Library. Let's pick up where we left off. I, I'm sure that the flyover must have come later, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Mm. But yeah, it so, definitely disrupted the whole yeah, accessibility I mean, it to was, the area. It was at near an intersection. Uh, Kampung Baru was directly opposite. Um, you know, and then uh, the Gurney area, the, the, the area leading up to uh, Jalan, now it's now Jalas Mara, you know, is in the vicinity. It's on the edge of the city. It's not really in the main city centre, but it is opposite really an area where has, which has a lot of people, you know, I mean, meaning residential, schools, etc. You know, so it would be, quite interesting to see who currently uses it because when it was first opened there were a lot of people using it you know in the 1980s when I used to go to the old National Library there were a lot of people using it because you know it was a public facility you were able to access it uh, without having to 
you know, be a member of a university or or spend a lot of money on, on books. I mean, the, the, the cost for books even nowadays is prohibitive. Um, and it's not something that you necessarily maybe would have the space for, never mind the income, you know, to disposable income to be able to buy books even, you know, just for reading pleasure. And uh, so, so the library became a really, really important uh, place and a lot of people used it. But with technology, with changes in the way we approach the information, in the way in which information is uh, both archived, documented, digitalized, you know, accessed nowadays, I think the physical space for a collection um, maybe needs to be rethought, perhaps, but that's a different conversation. When it was first built, it was built for something like 1,000 de- seats on a desk. You know, like 1,000, it could accommodate 1,000 readers at one time, which is, I, I have no idea how that compares to a lot of places. But, you know, apart from a university, um, you know, most libraries, you know, I mean, we, you, small reference libraries or research libraries or children's libraries, you're not going to have that capacity for that number right so it, it was huge facility it had auditorium you know the library has still you know continues to have facilities you know for uh, storage and for archiving and for repair of you know your publications you you have audio visual kind of rooms um, so you need to have the the physical infrastructure and the climatic you know conditions air conditioning la whatever whatever to make sure that your collection remains intact and is safe so it is a huge undertaking and i think that that's something that we so physically you have this building which had oh i don't know 22000 if i remember reading 20 something thousand square kilometers of uh, space which had auditorium reading areas of course, areas for your book displays, right? You know, where you shelving. Exhibition space, cafeteria, meeting space. You know, I mean, you know, usually because it has, it houses different departments and has many different uses. But since it was built, I think in maybe, I'm not sure how many years ago, but certainly in the more recent uh, past, a new taller building has come up beside it and behind it, something like 11, 12 stories to house part of the offices, you know, and other sorts of um, departments within the library because it has grown in terms of numbers of staff, in terms of, you know, the way in which material is being handled. Um, And of course, because it's a depository, uh, it means that everything, every year and every day, uh, something gets deposited there. You know, I think you know, right? If you were to publish a book, you have to send five or six copies of that to the National Library. So every publication in Malaysia goes to the National Library and they keep, they might put one book on the shelf, they might put one book in, you know, you know, there is a way of allocating so that you have, it becomes the archive of all Material, so it's the mother of all libraries, so to speak, lah. Mm. Uh, can can we talk a bit more about the architecture, the design of the building, apart from the roof? Because if I'm not mistaken, based on what I read, apparently it was designed to mimic a uh, tengkolo, right? 
uh, I think the roof was, yeah, supposed to be designed like a tonkolo. I, I don't know. Do you think it looks like a tonkolo? And, you know, and that's sort of curious thing is like, why a tonkolo? A tonkolo is headgear. It sits on a head, right? I think the concept behind it was that the tonkolo was supposed to represent, you know, the fountainhead of knowledge or not, not quite sure how that translates. <laughs> but there you are. And it has different sorts of uh, shapes and blocks to it, which have different functions. It has many levels, and each level has a different um, use, maybe. But the structure itself, I think I just kind of want to talk about something that kind of con not concerns me, but I, I'm curious about. Because I was thinking about the roof. You said the pattern is the thing that you remember most, right? And I, I asked you about the color and you said you didn't remember it ever being blue. When it was originally um, designed, the pattern of the blue was different from the pattern that you see now. So if you look at old photos or photos, you know, from when it was first built with the blue roof, you will see that actually the design, uh, the, that, that skin, that pattern is a different pattern. So I'm curious as to why the pattern changed. I mean, why did the color change? You know, I mean, who made these decisions as to what was more appropriate or whatever? You know, for what reason was it done? You know, I, I that I don't know. I, I would be curious to find out. But the thing is that um, designing a roof to represent or be a stylized um, image of a tonkolo is one thing. The size of the tonkolo is magnified thousands of times larger than it is, right? Like on a head. So when you look at it, um, that's why I said, you know, does it really look like a tonkolo to you? Imagine scaling it down and creating that and putting it on your head and see what it would look like. I mean, that, that to me is one thing. The other thing is the pattern on it is also magnified to such a large scale that it loses its personality. It loses the delicacy of it because it was meant to be uh, based on Songket design on the design of Songket, you know, the woven, which is extremely delicate, right? Gold and silver threads woven with cotton and silk in particular motifs that have meaning, right? And now we see these huge patterns on this huge headgear. I mean, and when I talk about it, so does it make the whole thing more magnificent, you know, or does it diminish? That's a question I would ask, yeah? Or does it diminish the original form from which it was derived? And I think that that was something that I've sort of been thinking about quite a lot because when we were, you know, when you were saying, oh, how can we talk about the National Library? I was thinking to myself, well, you know, what if, uh, what other buildings in KL, the Klang Valley, um, have this same kind of, you know, or have borrowed in a sense um, this skin pattern? Not the decorative elements which have been put onto buildings like, you know, you get oversized carving type design on a building structure. But in this case, this is just, like I said, if you were to take a piece of fabric and you were to blow it up multiple times, multitudinous times, and stick it on top of a roof, it's just a skin. And the only other building that I could think of, I'm sure there may be others, but the only one I could think of that has a similar, you know, has borrowed also from Songket, is the uh, Mara building in off of uh, Jalan, 
between Jalan Raja Laut and Jalan Tongkut Geraman. And the Mara building was also built, designed, the skin of the Mara building was also designed using Songket as the base. Uh, and that was done by, I think, Hijaz Kasturi's uh, um, firm. And it was, at, again, uh, blue was used. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about blue as the colour. But the pattern, although the, he used mosaics, smaller mosaics, um, the pattern itself is really very large. You know, this this explosion, so to speak, this over-magnification is something that, I suppose for me, detracts from the original intention, the original, even the original delicacy, delicateness of uh, the the source material, you know, the, the original intention, you know. So when you look at something which is woven, it has a quality to it, which on this very large magnified scale, I don't see. So I think, you know, what was small and delicate has now been blown up. And I'm not so sure on a personal level. Uh, while I agree with you that it's something that uh, pops up, you know, like certainly shouts out, look at me. Um, is something that I, I think that from a cultural perspective, um, you know, because you have borrowed, um, has you have borrowed superficially, but whether you have borrowed the values, the underpinning values of it, uh, of the design, I think is something that could be talked about. Lah. Apart from our National Library, there's also another library that's more historical in nature that Elizabeth would like to talk about. Take it away, Elizabeth. So there's this little building uh, that is now the uh, Perpustakaan Kanakana, part of the KL uh, Perpustakaan Kuala Lumpur, uh, located within the precinct of the Merdeka, Dataran Merdeka. And um, <laughs> I won't talk about uh, the Memorial Library itself, but I'll talk about this, this little building, which is, I think it's painted, well, the last time I saw it was painted yellow. Um, I don't know whether it's still painted yellow or not whether they've changed it because with COVID, with the pandemic, I don't think I've been to town very much. So it's a two-story block that used to house the KL Book Club um, and then eventually uh, was part of the depository uh, for storage of the National Library and then, um, you know, came, you know, was sort of used, disused, abandoned and now has been reused or, you know, refurbished and uh, is now the little Pupusakan Kanakana in KL in the city. And it's a little building that was built uh, in the nineteen late 1930s, early 1940s as a single-story block um, by um, one of, I think, some uh, an architectural practice that I've talked about before, um, Booty and Edwards who did the Oriental Building in KL, the OCBC Building, you know, several buildings. We talked about the RRI Building and whatnot. In, in, you know, so they were quite a, an important, prominent uh, architectural practice at that time. And they, they, they built this for the Kuala Lumpur Book Club, which was an independent, private, well, you know, community library uh, that started in the 1880s, 1890s. First, originally only open to the expatriate community, uh, because at that time, of course, the civil service was was um, the expatriate part of the uh, civil service uh, was um, 
you know, exchanging books. And they, so they formed this little book club and had uh, reading rooms and, you know, they could exchange books and whatnot, whatnot. And then they built their own little little space. And it is a delightful little building that in the 1950s got turned into a two-story building, very sensitively, actually, uh, converted into a two-story building. And it sits there. And for ever so the longest time, most people actually don't really know or paid any attention to it, I think. Because it, when I mentioned it to people, they go, yeah, got that, got that, got building like that there. Because it was, you know, in front of it or next to it is, is really, you know, a prominent, uh, the, the Slango Club, the Royal Slango Club is there. It's prominent. You have the Sultan de Samad building, you have the Padang, you have all that ensemble of uh, buildings around uh, the, the Padang area. And then there was this little, quite modest structure, which was sort of, self-effacing in the sense it didn't really shout out it didn't it unlike the national library it wasn't something that you particularly noticed but it really was part of um the whole idea of a reading culture you know a culture that 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 um i you know i i would really like to see i suppose you know or maybe we are seeing expand and revive here where in in, in malaysia and in the world which was about you know let's have a place where we can learn and we can exchange knowledge and we can share and we can uh, look at books and we can enjoy, you know, learning through them. And I think the fact that it's dedicated to children to me is a really good thing because, you know, that's really, we talk about, oh, Malaysians don't read, etc. Our reading, our reading habits are really very poor and whatnot. The fact that, you know, you have something which is devoted or dedicated to kids, I think is a great opportunity yeah for 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 and because books are really expensive you know it's a really nice good thing i think so um yeah so that that little building if you haven't seen it go and look at it uh, and if you haven't been into it enter you know i don't know whether it's open because i have no idea with the covid situation what is allowed to be open and what isn't but unlike the national library building it is really to scale it fits in within its context it doesn't shout too much about itself. I mean, but it's there. Next to it are a new set of public toilets which have been built by DBKL, you know, um, as facilities for the public. So, well, I won't talk about that. Those are necessary, you, you know, facilities that you need. I mean, you need those facilities, but uh, let's... They have, I think DBKL in refurbishing it as well, added in a lift to make it more uh, user-friendly, uh, more accessible, so that people get to the upper floor. But I'm, I, you know, I think that you know we can we can discuss the the addition of this new feature. Not that it's you know it's a necessary addition. I think I'm not talking about it from the conservation perspective, but that's what makes it you know that that little building that was the KL Book Club that then became the Slangor Library. And, you know, Slango Library eventually moved to Shah Alam because now you have the Rajatun Uda Library in Shah Alam, which is the main Slango Library, right? And then you have the National Library Building uh, that used to be in Jalan Rajalaut that is now on Jalan Tun Perak. And then around Kuala Lumpur, I think what I kind of want to end with is I wonder how many other little community, little or larger community-initiated uh, libraries there are which are still present, I hope they are still existing. 
I remember sort of looking that up a couple of years ago, and there were many libraries, both public uh, libraries and university, of course, university libraries, you know, which are specialist libraries, and um, organizations that had their own library resources where people could go and, you know, if you're not a member, you could still use. And I would like to think, I think, that, that you know, libraries will still have a place in our lives, even uh, though we, we all depend on, you know, uh, the internet for information and knowledge. I kind of like, personally, and, and I have friends, but that's because we are like-minded, we're probably friends, you know, like to pick up a book and feel the paper and feel the texture and feel the weight of, and be able to sort of put it down put a bookmark in there where you've left off and then come back to it later. It's a bit more difficult to do on your computer. You know what I mean? When you're reading something on Kindle or you're reading a, a document or a, 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 you know, a book even you know, on, on the internet. It doesn't have that same enjoyment for me personally. I would you do that because it's practical. But yeah, from, uh, from the perspective, I think, of, of enjoyment to me, I think picking up a book is a a good thing. I don't know what you think, but for me, it'd be a good thing. So I hope these little libraries uh, and community libraries and bookshops that have, you know, reading corners continue to not just exist, but I hope that they will, you know, proliferate. I hope that we will have audiences, you know, that will continue to want to own or to not own, but to pick up, to have access to this kind of material. You've been tuning in to I Love KL and this week our resident heritage conservation expert Elizabeth Cardosa join us to share her thoughts on our national library. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you missed any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl, our app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store and also Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Sanif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.